Podcast dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable? Bone chilling or butt numbing? That's what we're here to find out. This week is my pick, and we're doing Cabin B13 and an episode titled The Sleep of Death. Originally, an episode of Suspense that aired on March 13th, 1943 with Ralph Bellamy, the story Cabin B-13, written by John Dixon Carr, that followed a newlywed couple on the ship, the SS Maravania, for a fun-filled honeymoon. The groom disappears, and there's no record of the couple being on board, and their cabin, B-13, does not exist. The show was so popular that Cabin B-13 aired a second time on November 9th, 1943. Carr was given the chance to create his own program under the title Cabin B-13. It starred Arnold Moss as Dr. Fabian, the luxury liner's doctor who leads the listeners to different tales on the SS Moravania. Though 25 shows were created, there are only three known in existence. However, the show garners wide praise to this day. The 30-minute shows aired Mondays from 8.30 to 9 p.m. on CBS stations. John Dixon Carr is considered a master mystery writer of what's known as locked room mystery in which an impossible crime is solved by a detective. So here is Cabin B-13, The Sleep of Death. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. B-13, from his notebooks of the strange and sinister, Dr. Fabian brings you tonight's tale of The Sleep of Death. The circular bedroom, high in a castle tower, hung with rare tapestries, filled with a haunting atmosphere of witchcraft and death. The young American, Ned Whiteford, knew that for 200 years, no person who had slept in that room had lived through the night. Whatever it was that killed left no trace. Would you, like Whiteford, have dared to rest your head there because you were in love? From Cabin D-13, CBS brings you another great tale of mystery and murder. Written by the world-famous, best-selling mystery author, John Dixon Carr. Directed by John Deets. Now, here's Mr. Carr's famous Dr. Fabian, ship surgeon and world traveler, to tell you tonight's tale, The Sleep of Death. Mm -hmm. 
once aboard the Mauravania back in 38. He was looking forward to his new position at the American Embassy. He was young, and even war jittery Paris was a magic land to him. It was on St. Catherine's Day that Ned, unknowingly, made a decision that brought him to the threshold of unspeakable terror and death. And he made it in the midst of the gayest celebration Paris knew, the president's costume ball at the opera. Look at Ned now, wearing the uniform of one of Lafayette's officers. And look closely at the dark-haired young girl in costume, sitting across from him at the little table, half-screened by the palm. Ned, don't. Please, you mustn't. Look here, Liana. We've got to settle this thing. You've enjoyed being here tonight, haven't you? Oh, Ned, I've loved it. After being hemmed in at my uncle's place in the country, well, it's like heaven. All right. When I take you back to the hotel tonight, I'm going to face this dragon uncle of yours. No. No, you mustn't. I'm going to say that you and I intend to get married, and that's that. I can't marry you, Ned. I told you that. But why not? Give me just one good reason. Because I... I can't. My uncle would never allow it. And that seems to you a good enough reason? Yes. uncle of yours. What's his name? Count Stephen Kohai. He's a Hungarian, I think you said. Yes, so am I. My mother was an American. What's he like, actually? Well, he's, he's a little eccentric. He... Ned. What is it? There he is now. Your uncle? Yes. The elegant man in plain evening clothes with the order of the golden fleece across his chest. I see him. It's as black as a thundercloud. Oh, give me my mask, quick. Before he sees it. No, Ileana. Why not? We'd better face this out now. Sit still. Good evening, Ileana. Uh, uh, good evening, Uncle Stephen. Uncle, may I present Ned Whiteford? How do you do, sir? How do you do? Ileana, do you think that costume is quite the thing to wear in public? Why not? An older generation might call it immodest. It looks like... Like what? Nothing. You go and get your cloak or your domino, whatever you wore here. Uncle, please. Do as I say. Don't make me go home so soon. It's hardly 11 o'clock. I was not asking you to go home, my dear. I was merely asking you to put on a wrap. Oh. All right, I'll get it. You stay and talk to Ned. I shall be delighted. Will you sit down, sir? Thank you. You seem to have had quite a gathering at this table. Yes, some friends of mine from the embassy there. Upstairs dancing now. Glasses, glasses, and still more glasses. Hmm. I was quite an adept once at musical glasses. Yes? Have you ever tried it, young man? No. You take a spoon like this, and... Uh, forgive me, sir. There's something I'd like to ask you. Yes, young man? <laughs> exactly know how to say this, so I'd better say it in the shortest way. I want to marry your niece. Look out, sir. You, you've smashed one of the glasses. Doubtless, a few francs will pay for it. There are other things with a higher value, at least for me. Well, maybe I ought to mention that I'm attached to the American Embassy here. That I have some money of my own and have to support Ileana well. Indeed. I, I only mention that to show, well, that Ileana will be well provided for. The ambassador will vouch for me if you'd like to ring him up. 
I ought to mention, I have always kept Eliana carefully guarded from the world. Almost too carefully guarded, don't you think? That young man depends on my reason. I'm sorry again. You have known Eliana how long? A week. A week. You would not lose a business partner in a week. Yet you want to marry Eliana a week after you meet her. We know our own minds, sir. And you know more than the wisest men of the world. However, as one whose dearest wishes Eliana's happiness. I hope it is, Count Corey. You doubt what I say? Oh, no, sir. Go on. Well, let me make you a counter-proposition. I own a chateau in Touraine, not far from Paris. I know, Eliana told me. And here's my suggestion. Why not come down and visit us for a week or two? Well, that's very decent of you, sir. Not at all. If at the end of that time you are not cured of this infatuation... Well, it's not an infatuation. I, I swear it's not. If at the end of that time you are not cured permanently of this feeling, you may take Eliana with my blessing. Is that fair? It's more than fair, Count Corey. I, I don't know how to thank you. Don't try. There is just one thing, however. Yes, sir? At the Chateau d'Azay, there's a certain bedroom. We call it the tapestry room. Yes. I assure you it will be very interesting to sleep in that room. Why? Is it uh, haunted or anything like that? Not exactly haunted. And now, if you don't mind, I should say good night. I think I can trust you to bring Eliana safely to the hotel. Yes. In the meantime, look there. What is it now? Those screams of our fellow guests pouring down the main staircase. Shapes of nightmare. Shapes of delirium. Insane, dead masks where only the eyes move. Mightn't you be terrified, perhaps, if you could look behind those masked gargoyle faces? No, I don't think so. They're only ordinary people like ourselves. That's, uh, where you make your mistake. I shall expect you for the weekend. Good night. Good night. Sir. It's all right, Eliana. You can come out from behind the palm. What was my uncle saying? I couldn't hear. Eliana, it couldn't be better. He's a very decent old boy, actually. And he's invited me to the Chateau d'Arze. Did, did he say anything about the tapestry room? Yes, he asked me if I'd mind sleeping there. And you said? I said I would, naturally. You mustn't do it, Ned. I won't let you do it. Why the devil not? Because everybody who sleeps in that room dies. Are you serious? Ned, please don't do it. Nonsense. A lot of superstitions about every old house. This isn't a superstition, Ned. It happened once when I was a little girl. A man insisted on sleeping there. They found him dead in the morning. So? How did he die? They don't know. There wasn't a mark on his body. He wasn't shot or stabbed or strangled or poisoned or hurt in any way. He was just Two nights later, in the part of France once called La Touraine, the wind moans down the valley, and rain flickers across the apple tree, and thunder stirs in those haunted hills. young man driven in an ancient carriage from the railway station along snake-like roads 
and leading to... to what destination? Ahead, a flash of lightning shows the gray walls and conical slate-roofed towers of a chateau set some distance back from the road. Light shines from its narrow windows, dimly seen through the rain. Driver, coachman. Yes, monsieur. Is that the Chateau d'Azay up ahead? Yes, monsieur. I will take you to the very door. If, uh, if what? Why do you cross yourself? If I am permitted. What should stop you? Only fear, monsieur. I am not much afraid. Ish, ish. What was that? Only the dogs, monsieur. They keep many dogs. Large dogs at the Chateau d'Azay. Those dogs dangerous? They have to fly at anybody who goes to the front door? Mm, I cannot say, monsieur. But uh, I should advise you to make haste. Here's your money. Oh, thank you. Good night, monsieur. And uh, if one so humble as myself may be permitted a word of advice, Yes? Beware of the tapestry room. Me! Me! to look out for my uncle. Mm. She's our housekeeper. Where is your uncle now? In the drawing room. Come along. Liana, is anything wrong? Everything's wrong. Two of my dogs were in horrible pain this afternoon. Dr. Solomon had to put them out with chloroform. You don't think... I hope nobody's practicing, that's all. Here we are. Nice tiger skins on the floor. Say, who's that little old man with a gray beard sitting over by the fire? That's Dr. Solomon. That funny-looking eye. He watches and watches and watches. But he's an old friend of the family. Come on, let's get this over with. Oh, my young friend. Welcome to the Chateau d'Avey. Thank you, Count Corey. You must be very wet after your long drive. Uh, Go up to the fire and warm yourself. Thank you. Well, I'm playing. Yes, monsieur. Please tell Antoine to take our guest luggage up to the tapestry room. The tapestry room, monsieur? That is what I said, madame, sir. Yes, monsieur. An odd coincidence, Mr. Weinfeld. Dr. Solomon and I were just discussing the fate of the last person who slept in the tapestry room. This is not good, my friend. This is against my advice. Here, Dr. Solomon croaked. This is not good, I tell you. It is the wrong season of the moon. Moon? But there's no moon tonight. It's raining cats and dogs. Don't talk about dawn. Nevertheless, it is the wrong season of the moon. I say no more. 
cheerful man, that doctor. Don't do it, Ned. I won't be responsible if they let you do it. But look here, Count Corey. What did happen to the last fellow who slept in the tapestry room? You must not call him a fellow, young man. He was a very saintly gentleman. The Bishop of Tours. That was some time ago. Eliana was only 15 years old. But surely she must remember it. I, I remember it. The church said our bishop has no use for superstitions. He insisted on sleeping there. I made him as comfortable as possible. He was found dead the next morning with a crucifix still in his hand. Was it poison? There was no poison, monsieur. Here, Dr. Solomon. It's true, Ned. There were just two curious things in connection with the death, Mr. Whitehorn. When the mantelpiece was found burning a stick of incense. Ordinary incense, nothing wrong with it. Yes, sir. And under the dressing table, the police found an empty jar of ointment. Now, come, use your detective wits. A dead man and some burning incense and an empty jar of ointment. What do you make of that? I don't make anything of it. Is there any reason for this story of death? Reason? Any legend attached to the room or something like that? Yes, there is. Well, sir? We're a very old family, my friend. Old and perhaps a curse. When certain of my ancestors moved from Hungary to France in the 17th century, they brought certain beliefs with them. The old religion. The old religion? Yes. The cult of Diana. The witch cult, if you prefer. <laughs> now, look here, sir. Must we talk about this? Ah, you smile. When I say the word witch, Mr. Whitefraud, you think of some humorous picture on a Halloween card. It was very different in the Middle Ages, believe me. There were many to worship unashamed at the Grand Sabbath. To receive all favors from Satan, their master, to dance forever joyously in the red quadrilles of the netherworld. Some 200 years ago, an ancestress of mine, Catherine Corey, was tortured to death in the tapestry room for professing the old religion. Many persons have not thought it safe to sleep there since. Are you answered? Come, sir, this is... Some kind of elaborate joke. Joke? The Bishop of Tours did not find it a joke. Not a mark on his body. I, I assure you, as a physician, not a mark on his body. You hear, Dr. Solomon? I hear him. Understand me, my boy. There's no compulsion in this. If you have not the nerve to sleep in that room. Who says I haven't got the nerve? You're weakening. I think I can see it in your face. Would you like to make a little bet on that? What sort of bet? If I spend the night in this famous room and come out of it alive... Go on... Will you give your consent to the marriage immediately? Tomorrow morning? Why tomorrow morning? Because I don't think the atmosphere of this place is good for Ileana. What do you say? Will you do it? Very well, my boy. I accept the terms of your wager. Don't do it, Ned. For the love of heaven, don't do it. High up in the north tower of the Chateau d'Azay, under the conical slate roof, is the circular room hung with faded tapestries. The tapestries move slightly with uneasy mimic life to the clamor of the storm outside. Candles burn along the mantelpiece and beside the great four-poster bed. 
The flames of these candles waver, too, as the door opens. This is the tapestry room, monsieur. Thank you, Madam Slay. That is the mantelpiece where the incense burned. That is the bedroom on Senor the Bishop died. Very inviting, isn't it? Will there be anything else that Monsieur requires? Some sandwiches? A decanter of whiskey? No, thanks. I had a drink with Count Corey before I came upstairs. Very well, Monsieur. Monsieur's shaving water will be brought up in the morning. If he requires it. Good night. Infernal old harpy. Trying to scare a fellow out of his wits just because... Well, it's a good fire anyway. I didn't realize how cold it was. What's that? Goodbye. Ileana. May I come in? No, Ileana. I, I don't want you exposed to whatever it is. Ned, listen. Are you going to bed or are you going to sit up all night? I'm going to sit up all night, naturally. Then let me sit up with you. No. Why not? First, because it may be dangerous. Second, because I promised your uncle I'd go through this alone. Oh, I wish you hadn't had that drink with him. Couldn't have done anything to it. You poured it. Yes, that's true, only... There's only one of the dogs. No. Sounded like somebody walking. Inside the wall of this room. Don't you hear it? Why, George, it is somebody walking inside the wall. Get behind that tapestry, Liana. Quick. Hurry. All right. Count Corey. Where did you come from? Forgive me, my boy, for seeming to appear out of the wall and between the tapestries. Like Mephisto appearing to Faust. This red dressing gown perhaps adds to the effect. How did you get here? Passage between the walls? Exactly. A little device of my ancestors for visiting this room when its occupants were so unmannerly as to bolt the door. The door is not bolted. You could have walked straight in. But I could not have done it unobserved. No, maybe not. Have you had any other visitors, my boy? No. You're sure of that? Quite sure. And since nobody saw me come here, I'll just sit down by the fire. Please sit opposite me. Is this the showdown, sir? I don't understand you. There's got to be a showdown between us. Is that why you're here? I am here, young man, to explain certain things to you. Now, will you have a cigarette? I... I'm not doped. That's what you're afraid of. I'll have one. Yes. Good. Light? Thank you. When I was discussing the witch cult a while ago, you did not appear to think I meant what I said. Do you want a perfectly frank answer to that? Yes. I think you're mad enough to mean anything. What you say, in a sense, is quite true. In an old and inbred family like ours, the mind can crack, and the fantasies of witchcraft become as real, more real, than the living world. Let me give you an example. Go on. The saucer on the table beside you is Ming porcelain. It was once owned by Catherine Corley, a martyr of the old religion. Yet you're using it as an ashtray. I beg the witch lady's pardon. I'll blow off the ash. A dangerous remark, sir. Don't you understand that to a sick brain which knows but can't help itself, you have profaned this room merely by entering it? 
Therefore, you deserve to die. Like the Bishop of Tours? Exactly. You're not going to tell me the devil killed him. The devil's agent may be flesh and blood. Then it was murder. Of course it was murder. Murder so cunningly contrived that no one ever saw through it. Go on. I asked you before to use your detective wits on this problem. Incense was burned in this room. Why? Suppose you tell me. Obviously, I think, to conceal something else which would be too easily noticed. To conceal what? The smell of chloroform. Chloroform? Yes. A drug not well understood by laymen. Dr. Solomon was using chloroform this afternoon to dispose of some dogs. So I've heard. Dr. Solomon is old and forgetful. You mean chloroform could be stolen? It could be easily. Now suppose, just suppose, I take a pad saturated with chloroform. I place it over the mouth and nostrils of a man already sleeping or drugged so that he gets no other air. Wait a minute. That won't do. Why not? Chloroform burns and blisters when it touches the skin. You'd leave marks. Not at all, my friend. Not at all, as I first covered the mouth and nostrils with some substance like... Ointment. Ah. You're waking up. Uh, I... Now observe what follows. In a few seconds, unconscious. In two minutes, three minutes, certain death. Yes. But chloroform, it evaporates. Delay your postmortem for 24 hours. It's a very easy matter in these country districts. And no trace remains in the blood. Murder without a mark, my friend. Murder without a mark. There's just one thing you're forgetting, Count Corey. What's that? I'm not sleeping. And I'm not drugged. Oh, yes. You are? In the cigarette? No. In the drink you had with me. What was it? Morphine. You've had enough to put three men to sleep. That's it. Try to get up. I'll try. And I'll do it. You've knocked over the fire iron. You'd have been in the fire yourself if I hadn't caught you. Take your hands off me. Just as you please. If I could reach that bell, pull... You can't. Let us sit down again. You murdering lunatic. So that's how you killed the Bishop of Tours. And that's how you're going to kill me. I? You don't think I killed the Bishop of Tours? Didn't you? You young fool. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm trying to save you. Dr. Solomon! Come out from behind that secret door. Come out and be my witness. I shall always guard the family honor, even when I guess how men die. This young man evidently thinks I've been talking about myself. Am I in the popular parlance mad? Oh, heaven forbid, monsieur. I have never known a saner man. Have you any notion, Mr. Whitefoot, why I brought you to this house? You would not have believed me if I had merely told you. So I had to bring you here and show you. Show me? What? <laughs> Come out from there, please. Come out! Ileana! Why have I kept Ileana so well guarded from the world? Why the fancy dress ball did I object to the costume of a medieval witch? Whose dogs were poisoned so that chloroform should be brought? Who poured you the drink drugged with morphine? The devil's name. What are you trying to tell me? Ileana. She has been hopelessly insane for more than ten years. My story, The Sleep of Death, 
A tale which may give uneasy moments to those of you who may be inclined to fall in love at first sight. Next week I shall tell you a story that many of you have asked me to tell again. It's the adventure of an easygoing, straightforward New York detective who followed a beautiful murder suspect to Port Said, the crossroads of crime, and who learned that duels are still fought with swords as well as with 38. And so, next week, when I tell you this tale I call The Dancer from Stambul, will you join me, Dr. Fabian, here in my cabin B-13? From Cabin B-13, CBS has brought you another strange and sinister tale of mystery and murder. Written by the world-famous, best-selling author, John Dixon Carr, and directed by John Deep. Arnold Moss is featured as Dr. Fabian, and in tonight's drama, Cliff Carpenter appeared as Ned Whiteford, Janice Gilbert played Ileana, and Peter Capel appeared as Count Corey. The music for Cabin B-13 is especially composed and conducted by Alfredo Antonini. Join us again next week, same time, same station, for Dr. Fabian's tale, The Dancer from Stambul. Just for fun, make a New Year's resolution to keep on listening to CBS on Sunday nights next year. Otherwise, you'll miss all the fun Jack Benny brings for next Sunday, January 2nd. Marks the day Jack moves here to CBS with all his crew, Mary Livingston, Bill Harris, Rochester, all the rest. From next Sunday on, the Jack Benny Show will come to you exclusively over the CBS stations. The time? 7 o'clock. That was Cabin B-13 and an episode, The Sleep of Death, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. And that was my pick this week, and um, I learned a lot. I had never heard of Cabin B-13 and stumbled across by accident, so of course I did my research and went, wow, that's really cool. Then I learned all about the mystery writer Carr, which we have featured now uh, in the last two weeks or something like that. Well, we made reference to him last week yep. in our discussion of the sealed book, and the week before that we did his He was uh, hosting, show, hosting the show. And so... All of this was new to me that here's this amazing mystery writer, and I knew nothing about him, and I felt a little dumb uh, that I didn't know anything about this guy. And Cabin B-13, uh, the original episode called Cabin B-13 on Suspense. Joshua, you have uh, some more information about that. It's You've a heard it, <laughs> but it was based in something you were telling me earlier was something, No. No. That was somebody I, else. <laughs> that was a previous girlfriend. <laughs> uh, Yay, I'm the current one. <laughs> the episode of Suspense of Cabin B-13, I didn't have time to mm. listen to it. Uh, is it as great as it is made out to be that yeah, they did just, it twice? It's, it's a really good, solid, early suspense episode, you know, and, and it's got that sort of constrained setting where the Cabin B-13 name comes from. And now they're sort of drawing that out and making the character from the suspense episode your sort of mysterious host. He's a little like a mysterious traveler in this one, Dr. Fabian, right. <laughs> who's telling you these creepy tales. It's interesting to extrapolate that much into to its own show. Yeah, I I will spin-off. totally confess that my visual for this in my head was Doc from the Love Boat, which is not <laughs> not scary at all. <laughs> not in the slightest. But I Gavin also Gavin McLeod. No, 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 the other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Bernie. Yes. I kind of want to see that spin-off. And in the <laughs> 70s, they would have done that spin-off. Yes. Another spin-off heavy time. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of fitting. There's something missing. And what it is for me is if you're going to call it Cabin B-13 and it's based on 
this cabin that doesn't exist in this old episode, somehow the narrator needs to be in that cabin. Everything needs to take place on that ship and be ship-oriented. Well, the setup is that he's on a boat and he talks to passengers and he gets their stories, which vaguely reminds me of way back when we did Eye for an Eye with Vincent Price, world traveler, but it doesn't really sew the scenes together. Thank you. That's exactly right. It's just a framing sequence, though, so it it doesn't really mar the story itself. I see your point. Uh, And it was, again, any reason to get anyone to listen to these radio shows, just like today. They're desperate. That's my point. Something they know. Audiences loved Cabin B-13, so we're just going to call it Cabin B-13 and hope they tune in. What wasn't included in the intro here, uh, which also tells us that at the time... This story was really well-liked and well-known, the original Cabin B-13, is that appointment with Fear, which was the British version of Suspense, kicked off their series with another version of Cabin B-13. That was the thing that I wanted you to reference. Now it don't. Now you've done. Yeah. Thanks. I just wanted to stare at you blankly on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's out of the way. Um, what do you think, Tim? We've often spoken of the line between horror and humor, mm-hmm. and this hop back and forth between the two of them frequently for me of like scary, compelling, funny, satirical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, here's my question: Do you think unintentionally funny or accidentally funny? A little both. Mm-hmm. I think most of it was intentional, just because of some of the heavy-handed tropes and the sophistication yeah. of some of the writing. I like mean, in particular, the the carriage ride to the Hungarian count's castle. Exactly. Like that. Gives them the warning about the tapestry room. The tapestry room thundercrack. Yes, yes. Thunder was on those cues. Like every ominous line, <laughs> and the dogs. Like I'm on it. Yeah, and dogs howling. Dogs howling. In some ways, that's what Carr was doing with his story. Is he was going for every supernatural trope. And then at the end, morphing it into a locked room mystery, which is what he was famous for, with totally human uh, explanations. And so I think he very intentionally hit every single one of those. You're right. Bang dog, thunder strikes, the scary uh, maid who answers the door, the creepy doctor, Dr. Solomon. And Mm -hmm. they're all red herrings. Yes, Dr. Solomon. (laughs) My favorite funny bit, which I, I know this was not intentional, was the language is so heightened and it's so melodramatic, but uh, the, in that opening uh, ball, I think it's only the second time they talk about the tapestry room, she's telling, she tells him when she finds out, like, you said you would stay in the tapestry room? And people, have, people die in the tapestry room. And his response is, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> What's so scary about a tapestry room? Well, it was this very modern tone. Of me, like, we're we're doing this tapestry room thing. That that's what this is. You're right. It's my very my favorite, I think, unintentionally funny moment was when he says, "You know that you can play songs on glasses." You know, and he starts tapping <laughs> yes. the glasses and proceeds to play clank. <laughs> You're not playing any song at all. What? what? Just hitting glasses. Hitting glasses. I was waiting for this. Ding, 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 ding. Like he was gonna like. But is it clang, clang? No, you're not playing any kind of song. But do you do you think that was unintentional? Like some sound effects guy was like, I don't know how to play glassware. (laughs) Or or do you think that was? I really liked that moment because it was a. I thought intentionally really awkward because you had Ned who was like he's gonna ask for this guy's niece's hand in, in marriage, right? And he's like trying to. Tell him about that, and there's like, ear, 
<laughs> the whole time under the top of him, nervously trying to get to the subject matter of marriage. And I found it really, I thought it was intentionally and funny. It, it and could, because she sets him up as like, it's it's my uncle. He's right. very eccentric. So that's what I was going to say is that the entire episode is geared. Glasses. Right. The entire episode is geared so that the twist works that her uncle is a crazy madman. It drove us so far to him being the problem mm-hmm. that I actually got to the point of, oh, this is a straightforward monster movie. You know, this guy's the problem. He's a monster and he's a terrible, mm-hmm. and they're going to die in the tapestry room and it's going to be him that kills him. So that brings me to this, that I was caught off guard by the ending. I was as well. I was too. But it, it was only the playing of the glassware and the fact that he was so insistent that his niece cover herself up and he was very overbearing and overprotective at the beginning that made me dislike him because after that point he was super reasonable like like when he was skeptical of their one-week romance and ned was kind of a dolt right right and so when he said things like you take more than a week to choose your business partner right yeah i'm not like (laughs) i think you're right and so it was because you're a dad yeah if if your daughter comes home after a week with a guy but it's an (laughs) interesting mix If, (laughs) if he was too crazy at the beginning, right? You wouldn't right. have believed the end. And then they explained why he was so adamant that she cover herself up. It wasn't that she was revealing too much. Or it wasn't she just a, like she a dressed witch. as a witch, and that just set him off. And I also like that twist because uh, the Count was absolutely right. Ned was so ridiculously in love that he wouldn't have believed this story. The only way to save Ned was to actually show him that this woman is really crazy. That, that was the part that for me, like, I understand this logically, but emotionally this sounds ridiculous. I'm like, well, I guess I better have this guy almost die. Exactly. But he and was, this is where this story He was there in the wall loses. with the doctor ready yes. to jump in and save him. This he just wanted to see him. the story loses me, and I, I'm with Tim. Whenever I think you can take, you can take him aside and be done with this in five seconds— She's nuts. And be done with it. What is with the elaborate setup to sh- to do this? Is it because he wouldn't believe her unless he, he saw it he, for himself? He says that. He says that out loud. And I believe the way That's Ned really is written cool. and performed. Two things. It's pretty elaborate, I though. think we're supposed to believe that, A, the niece is not totally wrong, that the Count is eccentric. Even though he's not evil and eccentric... He's clearly eccentric. Like yeah, when he comes, look he, how he plays his glasses. Yep, and, <laughs> and when, when he comes out of the wall, I love that moment. When he comes out of the wall and he's like, "You must be surprised. I came out from between the tapestries, like Mephisto to Faust. Oh, yes, you know, my like, red robe doesn't right. help anything, does it? it you know, it's a, so it's this really. Are you coming on to me, sir? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Oh, he did go tapestry. <laughs> oh, you want me to spend the week at your chateau in your tapestry room? I. <laughs> I'll tap that street. <laughs> or you went too far, Eric. <laughs> Is that it? Is that it? So you're fine with his elaborate scheme to get him to see that she's insane. Let's back up. This is not my favorite style of radio show, but I, uh, what I'm arguing is that it's consistent within this radio show. I think they, they set the parameters, stylistic parameters at the very top of the show and they are they are very consistent. I think it's a very self-aware, slightly meta playing and melding genres and it is very over the top in spots. So I think it's intentional is all I'm arguing. And I enjoyed it for that. It's not my favorite kind of writing. I do. I did enjoy it. It is just one of those things. Putting myself in his shoes, uh, in the future, sir, if someone is interested in your daughter... 
take a picture of her trying to kill. Like, there's you, other ways. You know what? Maybe it is a parent thing because I I just did not like Ned. And I'm telling you, if there's some guy I don't like, you're gonna snoop around my daughter. I'm gonna like, all right, I have this tapestry room, pal. <laughs> Come in the family room. Yeah. You like foosball? Yeah. I don't know why you have the a foosball. The haunted foosball. foosball. Yeah. Uh, here's what I stepped out from behind the foosball yeah. table. The bishop played foosball in my family room and died with no marks on his body. Here's what I did like, and we alluded to uh, all the tropes being thrown in there. I really enjoyed the carriage ride and the warning and the howling dogs <laughs> and the thunder and the, the castle. And I love the setting of this. And again, we've talked about this before uh, for radio to be visually appealing to me. In other words, I see it without effort in my head. I liked all of that. I'm also a huge fan of each and every single version movie book radio show of dracula so (laughs) i love that story a lot and this reminded me of that you know there was a lot of this that was very similar to the dracula story in the setup like the howling dogs and the thunder (laughs) hungarian count hungarian count and all of that i really like the story of how this radio show got on the air cabin b13 it's an old Mm -hmm. show they gave me a show they called it that i like all that information about it so when I read about it and found this, and then there's only three episodes left, and then a lot of people commented on it's really highly regarded in the old-time radio world. People say it's really great writing. It's really great. I will say, though, that the story <laughs> and the show did not live up to all of that. Yeah. I presented it anyway because I think it's absolutely worth that we have to hear this. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important part of radio history, especially with the writer. And this idea that you would just take that title and make a show out of it yeah. and yeah. see what happens. I think maybe my favorite bit – I already had a favorite bit. My other favorite bit is this little farcical exchange of – it's raining cats and dogs. Don't mention dogs. That little thrown in aside. <laughs> and <laughs> again, you, the poor dogs died. Can we this. clear something up for me? And I get lost sometimes in these. And why were the dogs chloroformed? She poisoned the dog or did something to the dog so the vet would have to come and chloroform them to, to put them to sleep, to because send them to the they farm. They were in pain. They said that the dogs were wailing in pain. So, so Dr. Solomon came, brought the chloroform so she could steal the chloroform Aha! to kill him Aha! in the tapestry room. Thank you. I did not. I Twice. And I went, ah, I didn't make that connection. And then I said, but I got to move on. You know, like yeah. I can't, mm-hmm. I'm not Joshua. I don't have all the time in the world. <laughs> every single radio show, ad infinitum. Thank you. Now I get that connection. Mm-hmm. And I like the incense and the ointment. Yes, I yeah, liked. The, I the liked real world clues worked really well. Yeah. Yes, I loved the, the detective part of this, the mystery part of it and solving it. I also liked her at the end. I thought she was super creepy when she started laughing, came out. I thought that was great. <laughs> yes, I was, like, was going to kill you. And like we all said. <laughs> Can we still get married? <laughs> we were all caught off guard by the ending, so mm-hmm. you got to give him kudos for that. Yeah. yeah. I think I enjoyed it a little more than you guys. I loved the count. I loved how legitimately crazy he was. I interpreted that it wasn't an act. He was crazy, but he just happened to be a crazy guy who was going to help out Ned in this situation. <laughs> Here, yeah, I'm, the, yeah. I'm the count. I'm, I'm playing the glasses. Wait, hold on. Let me see if I can get it to. That's what it was. <laughs> He's really good. Wow. Uh... And then he breaks the glass. 
Was that Mozart? I, I think even when it was over the top, I really enjoyed the language of it. I thought it was fun. I love when the Count describes the people at the masquerade coming down the stairs. Nobody, you know, stops a conversation to note some people across the room and starts going, look at them, shapes of nightmare, shapes of delirium. You know, it is really over the top, but I don't know. I don't know why, because they, they, they just so embraced this characterization. That was a lot of fun. Culminating in him stepping out from the tapestry. He's going, do you like my red <laughs> nightgown? Cabin B-13 has something going for it that I really like, and that is the opening. That foghorn mm-hmm. is a really great uh, suck-me-in. Like, that's it. Oh, yeah, that sounds scary and distant. And mm-hmm. and we talked about this a long time ago. There's something about that first attracted me to old-time radio, and this is a weird thing to say, I think, but it's the sound of a distant train whistle. That, the mysterious was, traveler. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. But, I mean, distant. Like, yeah. oh, the train's here. It's coming into town. And you hear, I, that's still to this day. It's and eerie. It's it has eerie. some melancholy to yeah. it. It's very People are evocative. arriving or leaving. Well, yeah, so they say every story, every story starts with someone leaves town or someone comes to town. Right. Yeah. So in this case, that foghorn had that feel to it. Mm-hmm. you know. Then, so I love the opening of it. And I love the concept, I guess, a little bit of Doctor <laughs> on a Ship. Tell I love story. you start with I love I guess <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm... love a bit... exciting and new <laughs> alright so final verdict on this guys Tim you I would first. not call us a classic uh, I very much enjoyed it the uh, conflict for me of like that that's not a good way to express that your daughter has, suffers from mental problems is purely retrospect in the moment of the story I enjoyed it not a classic. I'm not even entirely sure it stands the test of time. I, I really enjoyed the character of the Count. I enjoyed combining the supernatural story tropes with the locked room classic mystery tropes. Um, perfectly entertaining 30 minutes of listening. I will piggyback that. That's exactly right. Lots of things could have been better, but I thoroughly enjoyed a lot of it, and I was caught off guard at the end. And I think I researched too hard at the beginning. <laughs> and, and and came in with this expectation of oh my god only three episodes exist of this beautifully written thing and it was it was fine it was it was pretty good but again I, I think that as we do this podcast and we're trying to define our parameters of timeless classic and all these things we say I think for me it comes down to if you were going to tell someone who had never listened to old time radio would this be one you would hear you. No, this would not be one I would put on that list. And that's kind of where I'm judging things mm-hmm. by now. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. oh, yes, you've got to listen to this episode of Suspense. Put that on your list, you know. So I wouldn't put it there. It would be one I would put on, hey, yeah, once you get through these 30. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. We have old episodes of the podcast there for your perusal. We also have information about the live shows we do because we do do live shows. Uh, We will take uh, scripts from these old radio shows and perform them in the style of old radio shows. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews really do help. It gets extra eyes and ears on our podcast. So tell us what you think of it. You can write a rave review. We will appreciate that. You can write a not-so-great review. We just want to hear back from you, especially if you like the podcast, though. (laughs) That's our new theme song. (laughs) Who's got the next one? Uh, I think I'm next. You're next. Next time, we'll be listening to an episode of Suspense called Ghost Hunt. Until then. Look out!